0: Villa's Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go, to know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. It's good to be up here on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. uh, As we continue our series in the book of 1 Timothy, Sound Doctrine and the Church. Last week, Pastor Matt preached the sermon Spiritual Warfare, where we learned the Christian is a soldier of spiritual warfare against the opponents of salvation. Today, we're going to keep in that line as, as Paul kind of finishes the thought as he writes to Thim, Timothy about spiritual warfare. But before that, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things, and Lord, one of your greatest gifts to us is your truth, and your truth is only found in your word, Lord, that we're going to expose today, and, and Lord, allow that truth to change our hearts and our minds. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So we start out here with the Crusades. Oof, that brings, evokes different feelings for different people. The Crusades, for that, those of you that don't know, it, it consisted of about eight major battles uh, between the years 1096 to 1291. There was uh, smaller battles that continued throughout history until the early 1500s that many say ended around the same time as the Re- Reformation. But there are different viewpoints about the intentions behind the Crusades, I mean, we know that it was a response to Islamic armies trying to take over the promised land and, and push uh, Christians out where they recently were uh, occupying it. And the Christian viewpoint is, is that, of, that we were just defending our innocent people, that we were, we were getting up our own armies to battle these Islamic forces as they moved in. That's a very, very valid point, and it's very historical. But even then... It seems to have been later on hijacked by those calling themselves Christians and and seen as a, a power grab by certain people groups and also the Catholic Church. To others, mainly unbelievers that view this part of history, they just see it as two different religions invading territories, slaughtering each other over their difference in their religious beliefs. So, as noble as it seemed to have started out, especially by the Christian viewpoint, you know, we were just trying to defend our people, it is not seen as one of the best times in, in the history of Christianity. Almost like a black eye on the history of Christianity. So, while these, this was called the Holy War, or the battle for the Holy Land, church, let me ask you, is this spiritual warfare? It is not. It's strange. I thought about this as I was writing this sermon over the last few weeks. And just the way that, that people view Christianity, and especially things like the Crusades. What's interesting to me is that people who view Christians as the evil entity that went you know, on armies, you know, trying to attack and slaughter people, they don't view missionaries the same way. They don't have as much of a problem with, with missionaries that go and spread the gospel through service and truth and love. I've been on a number of home and foreign mission trips, and even when discussing uh, these you know, trips that I was taking with unbelievers, people that I know that aren't real big fans of Christianity, they almost seem to be met with admiration and respect. I mean, how could you get mad at somebody who's using their summer vacation to go help build an orphanage in a third world country? And they even really didn't make, it didn't make much difference that they knew I was going there to talk about Jesus. But because I was doing something in their eyes that was noble, it seemed to be more acceptable to them. Maybe there's something to that. Listen, this is not about impressing non-believers. The point is, there's a specific way that God wants us to impact the culture and the world around us. Last week, Pastor Matt reminded us that we are soldiers in a spiritual battle. That is clear. We are all called to be soldiers in this battle. But there is a way that God wants us to fight in this battle. As we continue in the book of 1 Timothy, we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2. Paul continues to explain to Timothy that even though you are being heavily persecuted, that there's acts of violence being perpetrated against Christians right before your very eyes, this is how we're going to respond, and this is how we're going to fight back. And that's the reason why the title of today's sermon is Fighting the Battle God's Way. Fighting the Battle God's Way. Here in the first eight verses of chapter 2, Paul explains to Timothy in a very practical way how we should behave as soldiers of Christ. So let's get into those verses, uh, follow along as I read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. He writes, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher Of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. If we took these eight verses and we condensed them down into one main idea this morning, we would get this Christians fight for the gospel God's way, not man's. Christians, as soldiers of Christ, there's two different ways we could look at this. We could look at it by fighting it, it, it God's way through his power and his plan, or we could try to do it in our power, in our plan. Let's break down these verses to see why this statement is true. Going back to first verses 1 through 4, God commands us to impact our culture through prayer and holy living. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we start off in verse 1, first of all, then. What is that then doing there it's almost like a therefore. So when we see the therefore, we got to figure out what it's there for. It's kind of the same thing. It's much like he's saying, knowing what I just explained to you, that we are Christians in a spiritual battle, that's the then. So then what do we do? Well, first of all, remembering that we are in a war, not against flesh, but a spiritual battle Paul's going to tell us how to engage in this battle. First of all, Jesus commands us to pray for all people. All people. Even our enemies? What kind of prayers does does he say there? Well, we see supplications, intercessions, thanksgivings. Supplications Supplications is a prayer that asks to fulfill a need where something is lacking. Think of it that way. And it's not just for Christians and saved people because the lost are lacking salvation, amen? That's a big lacking. We should pray for those that do not have salvation. We we should make intercessions for them. It's a prayer that understands a desperate need and we're interceding on their behalf. We're We're begging God to please reveal his truth to these people. We're interceding for these even our enemies thanksgiving a prayer with a grateful heart for what god has done for us or what he's capable of doing for others thanksgiving praising god through prayer is probably one of the most important things we could do as christians church do you realize that you are never as close to god than when you're praising him it's an amazing thing that happens we get so close to God when we're praising him for who he is and what he's done and what he's capable of doing. So right off the bat, Paul's saying, prayer and praises are our weapons to fight this battle? Well, this pleases God. We need to pray for those in authority over us, as he says. We need to pray for those in positions of authority because, let's face it, they're not always the best spiritual leaders, Amen. Think about the government right now, or the past however many years. They're not really the greatest in spiritual matters. And as Christians, we want to try to vote for people that have our like minds and our like ideas. It makes sense, right? It makes sense, right? All right, you guys are with me. But we remember that God appoints all authorities, doesn't he? He even allows evil tyrants to rule over us? You're right. So even if they're evil tyrants, we should pray that they repent and be saved. God wants all people to be saved, not just the ones we agree with. And if you, if you really want me to press this point, at this point, Paul's talking about the emperor Nero, who just for funsies liked to torture and murder Christians. I don't know about you, but as Christians these days in this country, we're not really being tortured and murdered, so we could probably find it in our hearts to pray for our leaders. Amen? You want to please God? Pray for those that persecute you. Next, Paul says another thing that's an earmark of a soldier of Christ is that we live peaceful and quiet lives, uh, dignified, peaceful refers to the internal disturbances. It's about how you feel inwardly about what's going on around you. For me, church, I, I admit it's, it's hard for me to feel at peace in a world that's filled with chaos and lies and evil. And what's more frustrating is that we have people calling good things evil and evil things Good. The unraveling of all this can be traced back to the fact that there was an all-out assault at one point on absolute truth. Now, what absolute truth is, it is something that's absolutely true no matter what anybody believes about it. There's, people hate to hear that these days. Why? Because if there's no absolute truth, then absolute morals don't exist. If we're free to make up our own truth like you have your truth and i have my truth then we're free to make up our own morals you have your own morals i have my own moral, morals so therefore i can call evil things good and good things evil this is where we are at right now as a nation let me ask you church is god shocked by this No, it's it's been going on for a long, long time. It's not up on the screen, but let me read you Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. It's been going on for a very, very long time. Here's the point. God allows us to believe what we want to believe. Think about that. God allows us as individuals to believe whatever it is we want to believe. You're, f- you're free to believe that you're a fish and you could now breathe underwater. However, you are not free from the consequences of that belief, which is you're going to drown. When someone has a belief that's contrary to God's word and his absolute morals, that we find in God's word, pray for them. Think about that. We want to come at them and we want to debate them and, and we want to attack them. But here's the thing, folks, they're not getting away with anything. They're not. Because one day they will have to face the wrath of God if they do not repent and trust the Savior. Our hearts should break for them while we should strive to never bend our will to the world to the world or hold fast to the truth of God we have to strive to live in peace with our authorities and the people that are around us and we may face persecution as christians that that that's probably coming but what paul's trying to say here is that it shouldn't be to like civil unrest if we're going to be if we're going to be persecuted For Christ, it should be how much we love Christ and love others. Because sooner or later, that is also going to be viewed as evil. This fight is spiritual and it belongs to the Lord. Only the power of the gospel can change the, the, the hearts and the minds of people. I can't do it, and you can't do it. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we, we argue with people, and how hard we debate with people, we cannot change hearts and minds. When the church has committed, committed itself to praying for the lost and praying for our authorities, we're pleasing to God because that's when God can change the hearts and the minds of a nation. This is the best way to change the culture and to change the, word, the world around us, speaking God's truth in love and living out what we believe and committing to praying for those who come against the gospel. This is really pleasing to God, and I don't know, I don't know about you, church, but I want to please God. This is pleasing to God because this is how people come to the saving knowledge that Of Christ that he wants them to come to the problem is is that not all will like I said before there's enemies of the gospel when they hear the gospel they don't want it they they don't want to listen they don't want to be accountable to God they're too in love with their sin and that's okay God is is not into forcing people to love him But this is why we need to pray for them and live in a way that draws men nearer to God. We cannot spread the gospel through the force of war. And some might say, well, okay, well, what about the Old Testament wars? I mean, God didn't seem to mind those, right? He was kind of telling them, go make war and and do this and go fight these battles and I'll be with you. Well, that was specific to the nation of Israel and the promise to them for the promised land. God warned those people that were in the land that the Jews were going to come and take over to evacuate. And because they didn't, God judged them. So think about that. News flashed to us Christians. First of all, we're not Jews. Second of all, this country and this world it is not ours to conquer for the gospel. It is our mission field. That changes a lot of perspective, doesn't it? This is not our promised land. This is not ours to battle and to fight over. This is our mission field, to spread the love of Christ. And it brings us to our first point. God commands us to impact our culture by praying and peaceful living. It's so contrary to what we what we believe, but but this is the way God wants us to fight this spiritual battle. Now listen, don't think for a moment that I'm anti-war. I'm not not saying that war is bad or that all wars you know were bad. I'm not. I have uh, one son-in-law that's active military. He's deployed right now, and my other son-in-law was uh, ex uh, Army Ranger, or I'm sorry, Army Airborne. That's a little bit different. He jumped out of airplanes. I am not against that. I respect them. I love them. I'm so proud to to be their father-in-law. So don't think that that when I say that I'm anti-war. We should protect those that cannot protect themselves. But when it comes to battling those who oppose God, it's not in the physical. It's in the spiritual. And we pray for those around us, asking God to reach them with his truth. So who do we pray to and why? That's kind of the next thing that Paul covers here. And I like how he interjects this. Going on to verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The power to change this world is not through religion. Hear me when I say that. It's not through religion or the power of man, but through Jesus and his work on the cross. There's only one God, and there's only one way that saves man from the wrath of God, and his name is Jesus. He's our only mediator, as it says. So, what's a mediator? That's someone that that settles a dispute between two sides, someone that could represent both sides and settle a dispute. So why is he our only mediator? Why does it have to be Jesus? Well, because he's God and he's man. He's the only one that could represent humans and the Trinity at the same time. Jesus represents us because he lived a human life and he knows what it's like to be one of us. Second, it says he gave himself as ransom for all of us, meaning we sinned against God He paid for our sin, therefore, He is the only one that has the right to mediate between God the Father and us. What an amazing idea that is. No human, no priest, no pastor, no rabbi, or no holy man of any kind has the right to face God and demand our forgiveness. And they certainly do not have the right to forgive sin. No man at all, no priest, no pastor, no rabbi, no holy man could forgive you of your sin. That is why Jesus has to be our mediator. He gave himself as ransom for all, it says there. Let me just explain that. Because it's not a universal thing. Now, was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross Payment enough for every man, woman, and child that has ever lived or will li- live? You think that Jesus could have died for everybody? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. However, as we said before, not all people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and accept him as Savior. So how do we know he's the only one that, that could do this? Look at verse 6. It says, he gave himself his ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Well, what does that mean? The testimony given at the proper time. The testimony is the testimony of God. It is the work that Jesus did on the cross. And it shows us two things about the heart of God. First of all, he's very, very, very serious about sin. Serious enough to kill his son on the cross. But secondly, he loves us enough to make a way for us to be forgiven for our sins. It brings us to our second point. The cross shows us the power and the love of our Savior. The cross shows us the power of Jesus and the love of our Savior all in one. God's wrath will be poured out on all those, as I said, that sin against him and do not know Jesus. But Jesus took that wrath that we deserved. He showed us his ultimate love and his ultimate power. For those who are lost, he is their only hope. That's why we can say our main idea this morning. Christians fight for the gospel God's way not man's, because it's just too important to be left to us. It's so tempting to want to do everything that we can to stop evil, even stuff like the Crusades. I I can understand that. Like, we need to mount an attack. We need to come together. We need to protect ourselves. We need to conquer this land. We need to kick these people out of here who are bringing a false god and attacking our people. I get it it makes sense humanly that we want to use all of our resources, even the military, to stop evil. And like I said before, we should when it comes to protecting things like freedom and people that cannot defend themselves, but not when it comes to defending the gospel. As I read those final two verses in verses 7 and 8, I just want us to really focus on what Paul is trying to teach us today today. Just think about, you know, what we're talking about as he wraps it up by saying this. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Like he had to really explain himself to Timothy. And here's why, because he says, I'm a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. The Gentiles weren't really seen as someone that should receive the gospel in some areas of the church. Plus, they were the ones that were doing all the persecuting. And Paul's saying, no, I'm I'm a teacher to them in faith and in truth. So he's telling Timothy, I desire that in every place, every church, every meeting, men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger and quarreling. Paul's saying that this is what he's called to do, and this is what he wants Timothy to do, and this is what he wants Timothy to teach the church. Listen, church. We need to reach non-believers, amen? That's what we're called to do. We need to help change and we need to help shape culture because we're failing at an alarming rate. We are. And and, and we try through politics and logical arguments, which are not, you know, I I love apologetics. I I also love to debate with people. So that, that gets me in trouble sometimes. But Paul is saying that's not how real change comes about. Let me ask you this Do you want to change your family and your community and your country? Let me read you this quote by a a pastor named J.D. Greer. He said this The early church, this first church, had no money, they had no building, they had no political influence. And yet somehow they turned the entire world upside down. No money, no building, they had to meet in homes, certainly no political influence, no one cared what they had to say, and somehow they turned the entire world upside down. Let me ask you that again. Do you want to change your family, your community, and your country? Pray for them every day. And live in a way that shows you're not against them, but that you serve a loving God that cares enough about them for you to tell them the truth. We have to stop being against people and for the spreading of the gospel. As Joe comes up, and I wrapped up, just think about that as we go over what we learned today. Remember in our our first point, God commands us to impact our culture by prayer and peaceful living. This is how we go. This is how we go. You know, we, we know, we grow, and we go. This is the part. This is how we go. We're supposed to stand for what we believe. And please, vote your hearts. You should. In, in, in politics, vote your heart. Vote for what you think God how wants a Christian to vote. And we need to come against the lies of this world, absolutely. But we do it through prayer and speaking the truth in love. Church, it's so hard. I want to mount a military campaign against everything in this world. But to be most effective, we have to do this God's way. We have to do it his way. We should be known as people who do not bend and do not bow to this world when we stand on the absolute truth of God. But we can't be known as people that spread hate, that bicker and fight amongst ourselves and, and amongst, amongst others. We need, to see pe- we need to be seen as people that live peacefully with others, live dignified lives, and truly love God and our neighbors as ourselves. And here's the reason why. It's because it's God's plan and it has to be done his way. Our second point showed us where the true power comes from. The cross shows us the power and the love of our Savior. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who would believe. The power is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is the power and the love that this world needs. He is the only mediator between men and God. He is the only man, God, and Savior. So as Christians, we need to do everything we can to spread that message that's why we know our main idea is true. Christians fight for the gospel, God's way, not man's. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we praise you that you have made a way for the world to know you. And you have enlisted us, all Christians, in this battle as your soldiers. But Lord, we do not fight with anger and bitterness those who oppose you or your gospel but with prayer and peaceful living. Help us, Lord, to do so as we cannot do this on our own. And that is why we pray for you, Lord, to give us that power and understanding and your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email connect at villasgrace.com